It's a very good afternoon. Now, several thousand kilometers away lies a world that you share more with than you even realize. Now, discovering your ancestors and their villages all the way in India is a deeply moving experience. Now, I'm Talisha Naidu, and today on Newsbreak Talk, we are going to take you through a process of tracing your roots to India and also tell you why it is so important to do so. Remember, you can give your views a voice this afternoon on the show. That number to call is 089-310-8789. Or you can WhatsApp us, and that number is 071-613-7889. 803. We are looking forward to hearing from you this afternoon. Do stay tuned. Now joining me in studio this afternoon is Nirod Brander. He's the director of the 1860 Heritage Center and the honorary consulate. Now, um, Nirod, you are joining us this afternoon and you are going to be joined by uh, a fellow colleague of yours, and that is Kiru Naidu. He has played an instrumental role in the process at UKZN's Gandhi Lutuli Documentation Center. But first, Nirod, a very good afternoon to you and welcome to the show. Good afternoon to you and your listeners. Nirod, firstly, tell us, what is your personal opinion about tracing your roots? Well, I think tracing our roots is an important exercise in terms of acknowledging from whence we've come. And um, as I've often said, a community that does not know from whence it came will not know where it's going. And it's an important exercise, I think, uh, for all of us Mm -hmm. to know the struggles and travails that we all faced in getting to South Africa and to other colonies across the world. And I think an important lesson that comes out of it is the triumph that we've achieved under these adverse conditions. We are joined now uh, by Kiru Naido. Kiru, a very good afternoon to you and thank you for joining us. Good afternoon to you and to the listeners. Uh, delighted to share these seats with Nirod. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Kiru. Thank you, Kiru. Kiru, tell us, what is your opinion then about tracing your roots? Well, it's... A politically loaded question in in many ways because over the years people have tried to put some distance between this very ugly history of indenture and the new country we were trying to to build mm. but now that we talk about social cohesion and nation building and so on there's been a resurgence of interest in the subject of indenture history mm. and it's now palatable that we should know that we have an interest in in knowing and there's great value in that information especially for the younger generation if if i could uh, ask you nirod how important would you say it is for an individual to unearth their history and their ancestry well i think it is important individually but i'd like to speak more of the collective i think uh, as a community and we littered all across the world um, those that came out of indenture share common lineage that is aligned to contemporary form of slavery and and we must acknowledge uh, the racist past that we've come from in order to address it and to go forward uh, without being uh, grudging about it but being uh, accepting of the plight we faced and also celebrating the triumph that we made out of those adverse conditions which I said earlier so I think in, in order to, for your listeners, I think it's important to uh, explain what the whole process of indenture was. So 
for me, an indenture is a written contract in which a man or a woman agrees to work for an employer for a specific period of time that usually lasted from one to five years. Uh, however, these contracts spelled out the terms of employment, including wages, working conditions, rations, housing, and medical care. You see what happened in 1933, uh, the slavery was abolished in the British colonies. And the colonizers then embarked on this very elegant form of slavery called indenture. Mm. However, it was just as oppressive as slavery. And if not more oppressive, because if you were, I mean, I'm thinking if not more oppressive, because if you were indentured, um, you could simply be replaced. Whereas if you were a slave, and I'm not uh, minimizing the trauma and ugliness of slavery, if you were a slave, you had um, exchange value, so you could be bought and sold on the market. But if you were an indentured worker, worker, you could be flogged to death, and any and all manner of things were done to people, and they could be dispensed with. Let's talk about that because in order for us to understand our past and reflect now, we have to understand what they did go through, and they were faced with some of the harshest conditions. Mm. Kiro, talk to us about some of those conditions. Well, for one, it was slavery by contract, as uh, Nirods pointed out mm. here. And very often, the conditions in those contracts were observed only by omission. For instance, people were promised rations, they were promised decent housing, health care, and so on. And um, the employers had scant regard for any of that. So if you look over the records, there are these massive incidences of um, neglect, malnourishment, people dying from, from hunger or living on a very frugal diet, let alone the, the viciousness on the plantations of people being routinely beaten, flogged, even murdered on the, on the plantations. And they were even promised at times, I think, after their contract from me doing my research, that they could be uh, offered passage back to the countries that they had come from. But some of them weren't even uh, granted. They were, what they were promised, they didn't actually receive. So they were given a very unfair treatment. According to statistics, it shows that also between November 1860 and about 1911, just over 150,000 of the Indians immigrated to the then Natal. Now, of that number, a hundred and about four thousand were men, forty-eight thousand were women. So these laborers and descendants now make up the majority of the Indian South Africans. Nirod, why would you say that the youth of today neglect to acknowledge those ancestors and those laborers? Well, I think generally there's apathy around history generally mm -hmm. uh, with the youth of today, and. It's a sad state of affairs, which we, uh, Kiru's Documentation Center, our 1860 Heritage Center, are trying hard to combat and, and trying to engage them to acknowledge this history. I think it's important, especially now that the world has become a global village and a much smaller place, that we all engage with each other because there are indentured communities that hail out of Mauritius, Guyana, Fiji and so forth mm. that also want to engage with us because we share that common history. And... If we can get that right now, if we can get that youth engagement and document this thing, it's up to the writers like Kiro and myself to get that documented and write our own history ourselves so that we engage with our youth and tell them that this is from where we have come. 
Kira, you earlier spoke about social cohesion by tracing your roots and addressing uh, that and addressing your ancestry. Do you believe that the Indian origin community could build social cohesion amongst themselves first? Well, I'm not so sure about the order in which that should occur because Mm -hmm. where we are placed at this particular moment in time, these must all be parallel processes. We must have a simultaneous pride in ourselves, but also a pride in our common nationhood. And I just want to piggyback on something that um, Nirod said earlier. You know, I, I went to their open day at the 1860 Heritage Center last weekend. And the phenomenal thing was the young people that had gathered there. So you see this real pride. You know, Selvan Naidu took us on an exhibition of Curry's Fountain, for instance. And he looked at a, a young lad who had come in the jersey of the soccer team I support. I don't want to tell you that team because <laughs> one half of Chatsworth will cry if I disclose that. And he said, you know, you play soccer today or you support soccer to, uh, today. Uh, and that, unfortunately, that was the English Premier League. But he said, you know, at Curry's Fountain, this was the hub of non-racial soccer. And around that hub were key people from the community of Indian origin, people who were emerged from this indentured community. So he took a stadium like Curry's Fountain, painted that into the rich tapestry of South African history, mm-hmm. and told many different stories about nationhood, about identity, about history, about national pride, but without privileging any one section of our community. So I think that if we locate it within that sort of dynamic, we can all be proud of what's uh, Curry's Fountain, and we can all look back and say, you know, our forebears didn't come here necessarily out of choice, but it was this harsh um, sort of, you know, labor policy of the British Empire over which we had no control in the same way that Africans had no control over going to the mines. Or a promise for gold. Yes, well, gold under every chili bush, and they didn't find any chili bushes here either. <laughs> well, it's exactly 14 minutes after one. A very good afternoon to you if you've just tuned in. I'm Talisha Naido, and we're talking today on Newsbreak Talk about tracing your roots and your ancestry. So you can call in and you can give us your views on this topic this afternoon. That number is 089-310-8789. After this short break, we'll come back and we'll talk about if Akira Naidu and Nero Brandu, if they have traced their roots and what has been their journey news break lotus fm powered by sabc news so we are talking about tracing your roots this afternoon kiru if you could tell us because i do know that you have personally traced your roots describe to us how emotional that journey is and how moving it is well it is an an emotional journey we must not uh, discount that and uh, in the latter part of uh, 2017, we had a, a session at the University of Guazulu Natal's uh, Ganti Lutuli Documentation Center. And we expected 20 people to show up on a Saturday morning. Over 300 came. And there were people in tears. There was one woman that just stands out in my mind who found documents from 1863 about great, great, great grandmothers that did, she didn't know about. And so th- there's that. Inf- emotion that's infused into that passage of of discovery and i think that if we can encourage more people to go that route we have a greater sense of belonging a greater sense of identity a greater sense 
of pride. So you say there is that hunger there? There's a tremendous hunger. I mean, we were not able to, co- uh, to cope with the people who came uh, on that day to the documentation center at UDW. Mm. Similarly, on a daily basis, people rock up at the 1860 Heritage Center on a similar search. People go to the archives in Peter Maritzburg and uh, Damazanod and so on with documents trying to find this. And very often, uh, people have little idea on where to look. So shows like this are very useful in giving people information that you can tap some record Mm -hmm. uh, to get to the bottom of this history. We'll come back to you on where you can look for those documents. But Nirod, you are the director of the 1860 Heritage Centre. Have you yourself uh, personally traced and unearthed your ancestry? Well, uh, Talisha, I'm in a fortunate position in that my grandfather was a journalist. So he wrote down a lot of our family history and and his dad's history, which was quite colourful. In fact, so much so that as an interpreter at the court, uh, he sued the Minister of uh, Justice, Oswald Perot at the time, and won. Mm. Uh, So I was fortunate that a lot of the work uh, in my instance was done already. And then um, I also come from mixed lineage. So my mother comes from a passenger Indian stock. So I've been to Surat and to her village where she emanated from. I haven't, however, been to my dad's side of the family in Ara in Uttar Pradesh. Knowing how much uh, the uh, Indian indentured laborers have gone through or went through, what does finding out about their, their lineage and finding out all that information, what did it do to your soul? Well, for me, it gave me a tremendous sense of pride uh, to know that uh, my great-grandfather, uh, took on the Minister of Justice at that time, in court and won. Uh, for my grandfather, uh, it was a, a sense of pride for me that he was the first, one of the editors of the Fort Hare newspaper when he studied there. Uh, so, so there's a lot of successes, and I'm sure it is littered throughout our community, whether somebody's grandmother was the uh, ballroom dancing queen for 1950. There, there is a sense of pride that comes with every story whether it's out of adversity and even if it's just buying your first home, I think there's a lot of pride that comes from that, that success. And nothing succeeds like success. So we must celebrate that. It's important to own it. Yes. You know, we are talking about tracing your roots and your ancestry. Call us in studio this afternoon and tell us if you have done so. What has it done to you and how has it impacted your life? That number is 089-310-8789. The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. A very good afternoon now to Amit from Johannesburg. Good afternoon to the panel. First and foremost, congratulations to the 1860 Heritage Committee, you know, for, uh, for tracking our past down, right? We know when our people, when our forebears came to this country, they came with different skills. They came with business, religion, etc., etc., etc. One of your speakers, uh, one of your panels or your guests in the studio mentioned about Curry's Fountain. And Curry's Fountain touched me, like, you know, Curry's Fountain was the mecca of non-racial football or non-racial sports in this country. And it's important that, you know, we record the sporting, of history, the sporting history of non-racialism in this country. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, we have a miscued information being given to us, or sometimes we are given little coverage about it. And Curry Fountain, like I said, where Federation football was played, or non-racial football was played, at the highest level, whether you black, white, colored Indian, etc., etc. And to bring it further back, like, you know, when the Indians, when our forebears came to this country, they did not play cricket. And it's said, like, today people classify us cricketers. We 
ask you a question would you like there to be more campaigns more workshops to showcase this of the uh, indian origin and the indentured laborers yes in the, absolutely it should be showcased a lot but more important is cut uh, they should cover the sporting aspect of this whole you know when our forebears came down the our youngsters should know that hang on when we came when our forebears came down there it was they did play sport and football was their first uh, game not cricket There's something that you need to get straight, like, you know. Definitely. Thank you, Ahmed, for giving us your points this afternoon. Uh, we will take it into consideration with our discussion. I have Nirod who wants to... Can, I, can I respond to Ahmed? Uh, yes. Uh, thank you very much for your call, Ahmed, and your interest in our work. Uh, at the 1860 Heritage Centre, we have uh, a host of rooms that focus on different specific aspects of the community. And one of, that, uh, one of those rooms is uh, dedicated to sport. and the sporting history that you speak of i agree with you that uh, you know in terms of non racial sport the indian community punched far above its weight at its time and uh, at that at our facility we have a room dedicated for sport and i'd like to use this platform to call on sportsmen of yesteryear and people who have artifacts and history to come forward and lend it to us so that when researchers come through to write up this history that it's available and it's ready and it's authentic so we've got that we've got culture we've got politics we have a whole range that comprise the whole picture of the indian community and how we've come through to where we are today well just maybe a, a rejoinder to what um, nirod's been talking about you know today um, orlando pirates are playing amazulu at kings welitini stadium mm. 50 years ago they were playing at caris fountain you know orlando pirates morocco swallows and so on were playing rangers and uh, all the other big names of, of teams that we had in this town and for various reasons you know that history has not come to the light of day until now and and that room that uh, the 1860 heritage center dedicates to non-racial sport is phenomenal and i want to encourage people to take especially youngsters to to visit that and 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 get that that message into their souls definitely uh, kiro before we get onto more points we have selvan governor on the line a very good afternoon selvan hi good afternoon to you my dear can you hear me yes i can clearly hi right. <coughs> excuse me hi to kiro and to nirod thank you all very much for the work you are doing but the the topic of discussion is facing our grassroots and uh, we are so proud of Sikhism and the Tamils and the Hindus uh, even the internet scholars are the oldest religion in the world so mm-hmm. i'm saying when we have people like nirod and uh, uh kiro yeah in tabatika doing the work like for the 1860 we need the indian embassy in south africa to coordinate with them and assist the people in south africa knowing that we are the greatest nation in the world the oldest living religion in the world we want to trace our grassroots When we go out to the Indian embassy to do that PIO, people of Indian origin, to have passports and visas, we need the help. We've got to be practical. So we are proud that we have such an ancient culture and religion. But like the English people, we have two passports. So going back to tracing our grassroots, I've done mine. I, we in Tamil Nadu. And I'm so proud to be a Saivite. So Niru and uh, Kiru and Niro, I want you to just enhance a bit on what you all think about what I said. 
regarding the Indian Embassy in South Africa, helping us trace our grasses. Yes, definitely. Thank you, Thank you, Salvan. And you know what? We are going to bring you that. We do have an interview with the um, Indian Consulate General of Durban just to discuss more about the uh, PIO and the OCI. That's the people, Indian origin and the overseas citizen of India. We spoke to Mr. A.K. Patak and we'll bring you that interview in a, in a bit. And we have some information from Nirod as well about the embassy. But before we get to that, uh, we have uh, Swami Reddy on the line. Very good afternoon, Swami Reddy. Good afternoon, How are you? I'm good in yourself. Well, thanks. Good afternoon, I guess, as well. My question is, I need to f- locate my grandfather. He came on 12th October, and the ship called SS Amzinto. I tried to trace him. I went to India in 1995, but uh, the fail of finding him. Is there any way I can get in touch with the, my grandfather's parents? Uh, sorry, my grandfather's people. Okay, we'll try and help you as much as we can, uh, Swami Reddy, but do stay tuned and we'll bring you as much as information as we can during the show. But we was, uh, ra- uh, um, it was, I think, Selvan who raised that point. He spoke about the embassy and he spoke about what assistance they can offer. And you, wrote, you and I spoke a little earlier mm-hmm. about that. Tell us more about it. Uh, look, we at the 1860 Center, we have the ship's records. And uh, you welcome, anybody is welcome to come through and inspect those records, and then we refer you to uh, the State Archives, which is located just off Stamford Hill Road, where you can print out an authentic ship's uh, immigration record, which will help you in your application of OCI and, and so forth. But I take Salvin's point that we should be proactive in engaging as an organization with the Indian government and with the Indian consulate so that we can act as a facilitator so that we make this process much more easier. But Salvin, I'd like to also raise the point that, you know, when we came here and when we left India to all parts of the world, we left as British subjects. And a discussion that myself and our chairman, Krish Gokul, and the technical committee comprising Satish Dupilia and Salvin Naidu are currently grappling with this issue on how we engage the British government to acknowledge their role in indenture and colonization. And it's all very well being part of the Commonwealth and having games once every so often. But what are you doing to acknowledge how you displaced 2.2 million people over a period of 80 years? So that's a discussion. And if you're familiar with the work of Shashi Tharoor, that's somebody also we want to engage and see how we could address this issue of indenture and this displacement of people across the globe. Not from a grudging perspective, but from an acknowledging perspective. You know, amongst your discussions with the British government and the embassy, what is it that you are seeking uh, from them? What type of acknowledgement? Well, right now, as a first step, I think it's very important that centres such as the Documentation Centre at UKZN, the 1860 Heritage Centre, and indeed uh, the uh, Western Cape, where they have the uh, Cape Flats uh, museums, those uh, Malay slaves came out of indenture as well. And there should be a dialogue amongst all of us. I have just recently returned from Mauritius, where I engaged with uh, the uh, management of the Apravasi Ghat. As some of your listeners may not know, uh, Mauritius was the first place that indenture took place. They called it, the British called it the Great Experiment. Yeah. And over half a million Indians were indentured into Mauritius 
and they built that country. So my discussions with them was developing the indenture route so that we get uh, similar-minded organizations in Trinidad, Fiji, Guyana, Suriname, and ourselves and Mauritius to talk with each other. And as a first step, I think it's behoo- it behoves the British government to bring us together and pay for that and say, right, we want you all to talk and we want to engage with you all in a cultural way and see how we can work out this history collectively. I think it's the least they can do. Kiri, if I can bring you in on this point. Well, I'm a little angrier than uh, Nirod is on this <laughs> matter. And I don't think it's just the British government because, you know, their role in this was vicious enough. Mm. But there's also the role of capital. All those businessmen um, in, in Britain especially who profited from indenture. And by extension, there are also companies like Tongat Hewlett and so on in this province, and not just Tongat Hewlett, all kinds of huge landowners. Crooks brothers. Yeah, were were more than just crooks. Uh, If you look at the ugly history that Mm -hmm. they have on on the plantations, excuse me, on the south coast. So I think that there's got to be, if you follow the line of argument that somebody like Shashi Tharoor has uh, taken, to demand reparations for this. And I think, you know, he famously went to the British and said, we want reparations in the princely sum of one pound. And it wasn't about getting the funds from them, but it was to be an acknowledgement that what they did was vicious stuff. Along the lines like we need a council, a council to, to, to take this on, a council of people to sit on and, and kind of address these issues. Well, I think there's enough um, resources that we have now. I want to go back to something that Sylvan had raised earlier. We don't need, I mean, we have great fraternal relations with the Indian government and so on, but we have enough resources in this country among ordinary people, among people who've studied all of this to be able to understand and tell this history and and engage on it. So it's not about looking elsewhere for somebody to assist us, Mm -hmm. but an important point. I mean, this measure that the 1860 Heritage Centers is talking through right now, is to, it's about demanding accountability for what happened 150-odd years ago. Kiro, a lot of people uh, don't understand the process that's involved in actually tracing their roots. Uh, Swami Reddy called in, finding out how he can trace his roots. We have Rajan Rajkumar who says... Um, he would like to find out and he would like to trace his roots, but he's tried with no avail. He doesn't have any documentation or evidence except from his dad. So what can he do? Can someone please help him? And he's from Cape Town. What's the process in terms of tracing that route? Well, it's at various levels, depending on what you want the information for. The first level are the ship lists. And, you know, we must pay tribute to people like Professor Surendra Bana, Uh, Professor Joy Brain and others who have spent Mm -hmm. literally years and years uh, structuring all of this. And and they located all their documents at our center at UKZN, and that's been made freely available, those databases, all over the country and indeed all over the world. So if you came to uh, the 1860 Heritage Center or you went to the archives or you came to UKZN, Gandhi Lutuli Documentation Center, with... Um, a document and you know, one of these old birth certificates that listed the population numbers and so on. Mm. If you had that reference, then we can get into the ship lists. Once you pull up the records from the ship lists, you, you have an authentic record to apply for whatever other documents may be relevant. I'm, I'm not a great fan of the, the 
overseas citizen of India uh, documents that people have been looking for. But, you know, that's a, a facility that people should freely avail themselves to if, if they see some benefit from it. But if you want those kinds of things, they ask for very detailed records and unabridged birth certificates and the like. So you can, you can search through that. Earlier this year, I w was on this very ambitious trip um, to India trying to get into the records of the, the collector's offices, the, the tax records that the British kept and so on. And it mm -hmm. was singularly uns unsuccessful for the reason that these things sit in millions upon millions of pages, very often uh, written in languages that I can't access and sitting mm -hmm. under piles of dust and things. But the records are there. And some of, I think, the other benefits would be, uh, and if you could tell me if this would be true, is defining your medical history, land ownership, or even finding out if you have a famous ancestor. Could that be po a possibility? Because that's what many people hope for when they try and track down their, their ancestors. We've, we've found out that many or of the many of the people that we've spoken to, their main objective is to find out if they have a famous ancestor or if there is any land that's owed to them. I have a great grandmother that had three husbands. <laughs> so that was uh, a very, you know, a colorful part of my history. And it was an interesting find for the reason that the woman's voice in indenture is something that's almost entirely unknown. Mm. You know, a few years ago, uh, Gayutra Bahadur from Guyana wrote the book about her grandmother called Coolie Woman. And that was one of the few, if not the first, really authoritative piece of literature that talks about the woman's voice. So I'm not interested in land or anybody famous, but this vignette from my past about my great-grandmother was something very interesting to unearth. Kira, before we move on, because I want to talk about the role that women played in the 1860 uh, period, I also want to talk about, because I know last year we've gone very big on the importance of women and the, the, the role and the evolution from pots to politics, even with women in 1860. We'll come back to that just before we go on. We've spoke to Mr. A.K. Patak, and he is the manager of the PIO and OCI department. He explained to us what the people, Indian origin, that's the PIO, and the overseas citizenship of India, OCI, actually means? If they have acquired a South African citizenship, but their origins are Indian. So we, after checking their papers, issue them OCI cards. They are originally from India, but settled here. As we don't have a dual citizenship in our system, so this is entitles them to have everything which a dual citizenship enjoys. OCI card, if they have, they can go to India a number of times, anytime they don't require visa. Regarding what all is required for applying OCI, they can visit www.mha.nic.in. Everything is elaborated in details. Let's talk about the exact documentation that is needed. What documents is required for those who want to apply for an OCI or PIO card? Okay. Uh, the first is a, a self-attested copy of foreign passport. And the second one is self-attested copy of unabridged birth certificate. Then third one is self-attested copy of unabridged birth certificates of your parents. If parents were Indian national and you are claiming that you are Indian descent on that basis. 
in south africa as our experience goes that in most of the cases either is the third generation or the fourth generation and most of the people they have come from india long back 1860 to 1911 so all these documentation is required once you get your pio cards or your oci cards what does this mean about your ability to integrate into indian lifestyle in india OCI means like that person can visit a number of times to India that he don't require visa. So you could live a comfortable life as a South African citizen in India. Exactly, exactly. You can live a number of days over there. Talk to us about some of the other benefits of possessing a PIO or an OCI card. This is the main benefit. You are just a short of citizenship then then they can invest in india they are treated almost at par except voting rights they have almost all the rights it's often the case where uh, many south africans do have documentation of their ancestry but they really don't have a clue where to go or what to do can they bring those documentation to the consulate and will they be able to be assisted in tracing their ancestry <laughs> exactly we have a dedicated people here who assist people in uh, and they guide them also they should feel free to visit our place this is a home away from their home and that was mr ak pataki is the manager in charge of the pio and oci department at the indian consulate general in durban now just to refer to that website that he did give it's www.mha.i dot nic rather dot in uh, just before we go towards speaking to kiru and irod about the role that women played in the 1860 era uh, we do want you to join in the conversation this afternoon tell us if you have traced your roots what has been the process or if you do want to trace your roots uh, call us on that number it's 0893108789 The views and opinions expressed on Newsbreak Talk do not represent those of SABC News or Lotus FM. We do have Anonymous from Musgrave on the line. A very good afternoon to you, Anonymous. Good afternoon, ma'am. Good afternoon, Kiro. Good afternoon. Ask, good afternoon. What I wanted to say was, first of all, congratulations on starting from centre. But uh, I've got three things uh, comments to make. The first comment is, I've been very lucky that I've been managed to trace my roots. My great grandfather came here in 1892, but luckily my uh, grandf, my great grandfather, after indenture, was a successful businessman, and he kept on going back to his roots, which is in Uttar Pradesh, Agra. And I think I'm one of the few uh, fifth, uh, fourth generation to fifth generation South Africans who actually knows my roots. So, uh, but the OCI, um, I'm trying to apply for that, but there's a lot of Indian bureaucracy. It's not as easy as uh, the gentleman is trying to make it out to be. And uh, one day I wanted to say that it's very nostalgic going to India, but uh, there's one criticism that I wanted to make up, and this is the most important criticism. And I think uh, the listener should take care of uh, heed of it. The problem is that uh, this 1860 committee was supposed to build a huge museum, and uh, I saw most of the committee members, and that's why I wish to remain anonymous. I don't wish to hurt the feelings. I saw them in 2010 when it was the 50th anniversary of Indian. Uh, labor alive in South Africa, and I told them, "See, most of us will be should be alive by the year 2020. Let us start building this uh, committee." And I find most of the old subjects are still there, and basically they have done nothing. They had this grand, elaborate plan of building something worth two billion there, based on the Smithsonian Museum there in Washington. And uh, every two or three years, I saw the new extension. They keep on working on it. 
And we already in 2018, and the 160th anniversary is in 2020. There's no way we can do anything. I think that we love to believe that the uh, South African government actually gave quite a bit of money. So my uh, main point is, I think that the whole 1860 committee should get basically resigned. They've done the job. Okay, we'll we'll discuss uh, a little bit more about that. We know we don't want to attack individuals on a uh, anonymous, but we also want to find a solution to our problems this afternoon. So call us with solutions and not aiding to the uh, the problems and the challenges that we have. But Nirod also just wants to address that and the, the point of bringing in a museum. Yeah, I I, I take the uh, call from anonymous in Musgrave, and I agree with him. There was a committee set up at the hundred fiftieth anniversary. And they were awarded a grant to do a monument, which has yet to be built. I think about half the funds have already been expended with no uh, tangible outcome. So I agree with Anonymous. Uh, the community must ask questions of these individuals and find out what has been done. I want to also draw the distinction between the 1860 Heritage Center and that anniversary committee, which ha- we have nothing to do with. So we run a center. We are bonafide organization that is funded by the Department of Arts and Culture and donors. And uh, we welcome any kind of support. So uh, I agree with you, Anonymous. Those people must be held to account and they must uh, come out in the public and resign if they're not doing their jobs. I agree too. I'm not a great fan of uh, monuments, I must tell you, Mm. you know, static monuments. I would much rather they put that money into refurbishing a school and so on because there was this you know, great um, uh, sort of sort of fixation almost <coughs> among Indian indentured laborers for education and things like that. But I agree with Nirod, there must be much greater accountability on this matter. Let's go to uh, Mala from Durban. A very good afternoon, Mala. Hello. Hello. Thank you for taking my call, Teresa. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to the gentlemen there in the studio and good afternoon to the listeners. I want to share my experience and I would like to congratulate the 1860 uh, Heritage Center, all the, all the members, the hard work. And this I uh, viewed at the um, uh, open date that they had on Sunday. And, uh, and I, would, I, would, I would like to share and say that I stood there with tears in my eyes with all the captions and, you know, the photographs. And they're so beautifully done and so easy for everybody to become uh, to understand more of our indentured uh, laborers when they came to this country, what they had gone through, and um, I really commend them. And um, and and I would also like to request that you know it, it it would be so good for schools to come out there and visit, so the younger the youngsters of today, and they they need to know, you know, what our forefathers had gone through for us to live and live the life that we are living today. So, you know, if they can get the schools and get the kids to come out there, it will be absolutely wonderful, I think. Thank you, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Mala. And Nirod is taking notes. Let's go to uh, Sandeep, who's on the line. A very good afternoon, Sandeep. Good afternoon, Sandeep. Okay, we have seen... Oh, okay, you're on the line. Good afternoon, Sandeep. Yes, um, uh, good afternoon to everybody at the studio. How are you? Good in yourself. It's a beautiful topic. Uh, I just want to bring some, uh, you know, highlight that uh, is, is very important to our South African communities. In fact, uh, there is no such thing called uh, PIO anymore. I think the Indian government has stopped that. So, um, no, they still they still is. It has been reintroduced. Okay, so so uh, what the, the 
from the last week that I've been to the Indian consulate, uh, they had mentioned that the Indian uh, government has stopped the PIO. And uh, as far as the South Africans are concerned, you know, uh, the the way they introduce us to the, uh, in terms of the requirements is, is very on par with what they ask from London and so on and so forth. Now, we've come, you know, if, if there's a way that the Indian government and the consulate can represent us South Africans to the Indian government in Delhi, and understand that we do not have certain documents that they require, you know. And unfortunately, uh, when we visit places in Phoenix and Chatsworth and, and, and you know, uh, places of that sort, most of our ancestors have not left documents behind because of the, you know, uh, our hard past that we've had. So is there a possibility to formulate a forum just to help us South Africans, where we know it's our right to enjoy that facility they're giving to us, Mm. And, uh, you know, I find it, and not just me, a lot of people that we speak to, the Indian consulate, especially in Durban, is always finding a way to send us away. And then they have this uh, various agencies that help them out to do this. But it's always about sending us away very fast. It's not about sitting down and saying, you know what, okay, we know you don't have the document. So they, they require a whole lot of documents, and most of us uh, do not have access to those documents. We try looking for it. They send us to a whole rigmarole of finding those documents and there's always something wrong so is there a possibility for just us south africans who uh have lost a lot during the apartheid period unlike the other people overseas uh and and make it a little you know speak to the modi government speak to the delhi government yes. and make it a little more easier for us to enjoy the facility of the OCI. Is that a possibility? Sandeep, we, we do get uh, your point this afternoon. You're on a time. We are going to cut you short on that and we're going to pass it through to Nirod who has answers for you. Nirod, can you come in on that point? Yes. Uh, in fact, I share Sandeep's sentiments. Uh, the Indians that came out of indenture are significantly uh, disadvantaged when it comes to the application of OCI cards. If you look at uh, the Mauritians, for instance, they, they got to Mauritius in 1834. So their records are even further back. And then you take couple that with the fact that a lot of people change names. Like my great-great-great-grandfather came as Ramdani, and then it became Dabi, and then it became Bramdo. Mm-hmm. So it, it, all of us face that. Uh, but Sandeep, we, are, we have a move afoot uh, to combat this, in that, uh, as you say, the OCI card seems to be geared for the British and the US and the Canadian Indian. And we indentured uh, stock don't have access to those records. So what we are doing is we're getting this forum going between those countries, Mauritius, Trinidad, as I said earlier, and going to make representations to the Indian government and say, look, guys, we are Indian. You can't deny that. And we're going to have to come up with this regime that works for both of us. Uh, we will get back to the uh, callers. We ha- do, as you can see, it's a topic that uh, people are so hungry for. They just want to continue discuss- uh, discussing it because there may be just not enough information for them to grasp, or they're not aware of the centres that are available for them. Uh, mm-hmm. Kiro, if I could speak to you, because just before we could take our callers, we spoke about women and the role that they played. Is it true, because from research and from the points that I have been reading and the books that I've been going through, what woman brought to uh, Natal, the then Natal, with much reluctance? Well, there was uh, a provision in the policy that you had to have a certain proportion of women on board the ships before it could uh, depart, Mm. because it was unhealthy on the plantations when you had this this huge uh, sort of disjuncture in the ratio of men to women. 
but also you know another aspect of this that we don't talk about uh, too much uh, these days was that uh, you know indian indentured laborers married zulu men and women here and there are lots of people who who traced their heritage into into both those communities but because of the way colonialism and apartheid played itself out uh, that's an aspect of the history that's completely denied but this whole aspect of women perhaps faced harsher treatment on the plantations because of their particular vulnerabilities and the sexual abuse of women and so on by both the masters and fellow indentured laborers is something that's very well recorded but there are also all these various other incidences that uh, Ashwin Desai has written so eloquently about is where women stood their ground and challenged men to the point of even murdering abusive partners and so on so that story of my my own uh, great grandmother i'm very intrigued because her name pops up in the court records in the mlazi district and so i'm not. really keen to go and find out what had she done and i wouldn't be surprised if there was some man who took a hand to her and she beat him up or murdered him and we would love for you to share that with us later on uh, nirod if i could come to you do young women of today across all cultural groups all religious groups have much to learn from the affirmation of the indian culture and the indian woman as kiru had described and its contribution not only uh, to self confidence but pride in ourselves as a people as a people's person you know i've written a column once some years ago about uh, i think it was on the occasion of mothers day where i wrote uh, the fact that indian women tend to lead from behind but that's not by and large the case mm. they are found in all sorts of leadership positions and the point you just raised with kiru now about them coming out of hardship far more a severe hardship than than men folk faced at that time needs to be acknowledged and and i think we have shining examples valiyama is one of them who courted imprisonment a young girl who was politically active at the time went into prison and died there and she is a martyr of that struggle and not only of the indentured struggle it's just broader struggle of liberation in South Africa and we must acknowledge that role and that i think is what my center and kiru center is doing we're getting those histories together of those women we are going to be launching and i will ask for your help on a on an exhibition on indian women in the struggle mm-hmm. that is being put together by dr jagi patel who serves with me on the board I think it's true. I think you know not many of the youth of today even know who Vayama is. Exactly. And and that's a pity. Kiro, if I could ask you, are too many of the young people losing the cultural anchors uh that they should have to support them and as well to sustain them? Well, culture is not a a, a static uh, entity. You know, we we must celebrate. I mean, I I was listening to some Carnatic music yesterday at the um Hindu Tamil Institute in in Clarewood and it was beautiful I'm a great fan of uh, of uh, Indian Carnatic music but I thought for a moment how nice it would be if the singers took on some kwaito and rap and and reached uh, young people you could have done that in Indian languages and and reached across to people so I I wouldn't blame young people for not being culturally aligned or fixed I think we've just got to look at this more creatively but how we understand identity and how we we find imaginative ways to bring young people into this fold. Mm. We have uh, anonymous from Morningside on the line. A uh, very good afternoon to you anonymous. 
Hi, how are you? I need some help. I had an aging parent. My father was 90. And uh, a journalist went to go and interview him and took quite important documents. He was from Kerala, Cochin, and he was Malayalam. And they took the book. Plus, you know, you have a card entering you into South Africa, mm. into, into Natal. That and all the numbers that were taken from him. In 1939, he was a goalkeeper for Natal and the Blazer. We are trying, he died at 103. We are trying for so long. I wish the two documentation centers would get together and whatever they have taken, maybe it's not of importance to them, but it is for us. And being Malayalam, he had a Malayalam Bible, and he always prayed in Malayalam. And that is a very difficult language, and we know. And we're trying so hard that we could get something, maybe offline I could talk to somebody, so we can get that, so that we can get being citizenship and, and trying. There's Anonymous. so many people in our family that we're trying to get hold we cannot get, we don't know where to Okay, where. Anonymous, we're going to help you as much as we can. Kira, if you could give the details for the documentation uh, center too. There's many people, I know there's Ranji who would like some uh, information. Swami already had called with information. If you can give us maybe the uh, address or the email address or even a telephone number that they could contact. Right. Well, the best way for the Gandhi Lutuli Documentation Center at UKZN mm-hmm. is to visit the center because you won't be able to do this necessarily on the telephone, although I I appreciate the fact that people are out of town and it's difficult uh, to get there. But the Gandhi Lutuli Documentation Center is located on the Westfall campus at UKZN. It's in the basement of the library and it's open five days a week on a a weekday. We have these special openings on a Saturday. Uh, But also, I mean, I'm I'm struggling to get the numbers off my telephone, but let mm-hmm. me give you my details. So if somebody were to send me an email, I could pass that on to the archivist at the university. And it's just kirunaidu at gmail.com, spelled K-I-R-U-N-A-I-D-O-O, kirunaidu, one word, at gmail.com, and I promise to, to pass that on. But the best way is to come with documents, sit down with the archivists, just to find out some of these records, some of it takes uh, five minutes. Others might take several hours or even longer. So it's got to be that personal contact. Yeah. Nirod, if you could give us uh, some information from the uh, 1860 Heritage Center. Yeah, well, many of your listeners will know, coming just out of our open day, that uh, the document 1860 Heritage Center is located in number one Derby Street. That's just in Gravel. Uh, we have a very dynamic director there, Yatin Singh. And he can be reached on 031-309-1818. I'll repeat that, 031-309-1818. And as I said, our center is open from 8 to 4, and you're welcome to pop in uh, and just go and visit and have a chat and have a walk around. We're there all week, so whenever anybody is interested in going down there, please feel free. It's a public facility, and we welcome everybody. Uh, if we could take our last caller now, and that would be Louis Pelé. A very good afternoon to you, Louis. Good afternoon to you, and good afternoon to the listeners as well. Uh, and good afternoon to the guests. Uh, firstly, I want to thank uh, Kiru for coming through. And, you know, we've been working together for a long time. 
Uh, he mentioned some of the ladies. I want to speak about Sex Cooper's mother. And I think she also worked together. Louis, but if you could me, do this as, as quick as pro- possible, because we just want to yeah. get our last points through. Okay. All right. I think, I think firstly, you know, to go to the center, in your old uh, uh, birth certificate, you've got a file number. If you take that file number and give it in, you will know your grandparents. It's very easy. Like, I picked it up very quickly, and my grandfather came in in 1889 with a ship called Congela, and he came in as a laundry man. So, you know, if you follow that, you will actually do very well. And then I want to thank the, the team for the hard work put in. And, you know, the House of Delegates never did it. I think the HOD, you know, they, they've been only walking one side of the story, but they didn't cover the whole thing. I think, you know, I want to praise the committee for that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Louis. Quickly, uh, Anirod and Kiro, we are running out of time, but if you could tell us, some would ask, you know, almost 160 years later, does it even still matter to trace your roots and your ancestry? What would you say to them, Nirod? I think, uh, as I said earlier, I think on the individual, it's up to them if they'd like to do so. But as a broader community, it's imperative that we trace our roots and our and our history and we document this so that for generations to come, as you say, they know from whence we've come and what we've gone through to make our lives successful in South Africa. Kiro? Yes, I echo exactly those sentiments. And I want to just link this to a little story of the past day. There's the son of an indentured worker who was a mahout on Nelly the Elephant at Mitchell Park Zoo, who on Freedom Day will receive the Order of Lutuli in silver from the president in recognition of his contribution to the struggle for South African freedom. That's uh, Mr. Swaminathan Gounden of um, Asho. Now we have stories like that about great people who've emerged from this community of Indian indenture. And as we look to trace our individual roots, also as a community, there must be collective pride in people like Mr. Gounden who've played an enormous role in building our country. Great points. Well, that was uh, Kiru Naidu, and uh, he has played an instrumental, very instrumental role at the UKZN's Gandhi Latuli Documentation Centre. He's also a historian, uh, and he'll also bring us more information about his grandmother in, and in times to come. And uh, Nirod Bramdu that has joined us this afternoon, he is the director of the 1860 Heritage Centre. History continues to largely reflect narratives of our victors. We should be proud to be South Africans and salute our ancestors who have contributed so so much to what we are today, a democratic, vibrant South Africa. That's a wrap of uh, the show. The show was brought to you courtesy of the team that's led by executive producer Salma Patel, producers Taresh Haripashad, Rachel Vardy and Hussein Ibrahim, who has been joining me in studio this afternoon. Newsbreak will be back tomorrow morning from 6 to 7 a.m. with Matthew Viren. For now, it's God bless and goodbye.